0: hello hello
1: hey how you doing good how are you good thank you
0: and welcome to another special edition episode of off the post boston sports i'm carter Hawkman, and i'm speaking with kylie O'Miller today kylie thanks for joining us
1: oh thank you for having me carter uh like you said before america east alumni we got to stick together
0: absolutely hopefully you and your entire family are are happy and healthy
1: yes you as well thank you
0: how's the self-quarantining going
1: um i i'm trying my best but i'm a very busy person so uh it's very hard for me to be able to stay home and socially distance myself a lot of my job and a lot of my how I am as a person is pretty social so um pretty difficult so far
0: yeah we never really realized how often we have to touch our face until we're not allowed to
1: (laughs) yep exactly
0: so let's jump right into it you're from from Islip New York yep Um, I'm going to jump right into your your college stats. Uh, This may take a while, so bear with me. Um, In your senior season alone, you had 88 goals, 69 assists for 157 total points, which led the country. In your four years at Stony Brook, uh, 252 goals, 246 assists, 498 points. Your shots on goal percentage was 781. So basically, every time you took a shot, there was about an 80% chance that you're at least going to hit the frame of the net. (sighs) Um, which is absurd. Uh, all ECAC first team, ECAC Offensive Player of the Year, America East Offensive Player of the Year, America East First Team, 2017-18 America East Woman of the Year, and four-time America East Champion. Uh, and you were selected first in the Women's Professional Cross League by the New York Fight. Yes. Do, do these, does this all, when it's read back to you, does it sound real? Reading them off one by one just sounds, it's incredible to me, but I'm sure you've had them read to you multiple, do it by now
1: um I mean it's still pretty unreal uh sometimes I'm kind of like wait that was me you know um so uh, so a lot of it too is are things that I'm super proud of but also um sometimes just blend into words you know and I feel I'm one of those person I'm one of those people who like I measured a lot of my success in college based on how my team was doing and the program records, like we were making what, what we were doing at Stony Brook as a program. So I know that's a little bit cliche and it's, it's heard a lot from athletes, but, um, that's just what my whole focus was on. And that's what all my goals were about. So, uh, not to say that I wasn't honored to be a part of a lot of these records and awards and things like that. But even now, looking back, now that I'm two years out of it, um, I mean, that, those are the things that I remember the most and those are the, the goals that I remember chasing the most uh, were like the program records and the undefeated seasons and the NCAA tournament appearances that hadn't happened before. So um, pretty, pretty surreal though, as, <laughs> as you mentioned.
0: Absolutely. And, and uh, another thing I want to touch on, you are, it's almost trademark is your eye your black pattern. Talk to mm-hmm. me about the story behind that because it's incredibly distinct.
1: Uh, yeah, so for anyone that's listening that doesn't know, I, I have a specific, like, eye black that I wear on my face for game day. I've been wearing it um, ever since high school. I was kind of just playing around. I've always been one to kind of, like, um, I don't like to be flashy, per se, with uh, yeah. how I look on the field, but there's always been something about, like, I have to wear the same headband, like, same... Hairdo, um, like I always have, like I just you know I look good, feel good type of thing. Oh yeah. Um, So just one of those things, but the eye black is kind of like a, it's like a winged look. It started off as just triangles, like colored in on my cheeks. That was a pretty basic one, and then um, one of my friends in high school was actually like, "Why don't you try to make it look like the Batman wings? Because it's kind of cool, and like you know you've always been a Batman fan, so." Um, I tried to wing it up on the sides, even, like, versions of it. I see pictures from high school. Versions of it in high school were a little bit, like, early stages. Um, but then I got to college, and I kind of just made it my own. I really winged it up. It's, it's my logo for my brand and for my um, for my business, for KO 17 lacrosse. So uh, it's pretty wild, but I do still wear it every game day, and it is a pretty yeah, big I was gonna say it, it
0: has turned into a brand for you.
1: Yep which is, you know, obviously something that I didn't um, think was going to happen when I first started it. Um, But pretty surreal to look back and just know, like, people are wearing the eye black that I wear, not only on their faces for games, but they're wearing it on t shirts, you know, Um, they're wearing it as a logo it's like on stickers on people's cars it's pretty wild so
0: I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about your family briefly um your younger sister mm-hmm. Taryn also is currently at, at Stony Brook well not currently but because uh, of the the <laughs> you know yeah, she's she's playing lacrosse at uh, at Stony Brook as well how is it she's also doing incredibly well how is it seeing your younger sister do so well where you went to college
1: um, I mean, it's it's the best thing ever. It's just me and my sister at home, um, other than, you know, my parents, my mom and my dad, and then my myself and my younger sister. She's two years younger than me. So myself and her, we've always been really close. We've always played sports together growing up. Um, everything I played, she played. And we've been on tons of teams together. So when I actually got to Stony Brook, she was verbally committed to play somewhere else. And when I saw... Or when she saw that I was, you know, um, having success and having a good time at Stony Brook, which was so close to home for us. And my parents were able to see our our games and everything. She was like, she made the automatic switch and she decided to end up coming to Stony Brook. So um, I actually was lucky enough to play with her for two years at Stony Brook, um, which was, you know, just surreal and probably some of the best experiences I've had on the field um and then to be able to to move on and allow her to have her own two years there and have her own success and um I've actually been a volunteer assistant there the last two years so I've been able to kind of be on the coaching side of it and kind of watch from the distance watch from the sideline and allow her to be her own captain be her own teammate be her own player out there it's uh it's really cool and it just makes me super proud of her and,
0: and were is. your uh, were your parents athletes growing up as well?
1: Yes, my parents were both athletes, so we grew up in a pretty athletic household. My, um, my mom played soccer at Lynn University in Florida, and my dad grew up playing baseball and hockey. So, um, just super athletic. Taryn and I both started off with you know youth soccer through CYO basketball. We ended up both playing um, volleyball, basketball, and lacrosse. All through high so school. pretty much
0: everything, everything from your entire career all the way through college, now where you're at currently, has been close to home in New York. What's that been like for you?
1: Yeah, um, and it's something that um, some people like to kind of target as like, oh, I've never really experienced anything outside of that. But at the same time, why do I need to? When um, a lot of it has been so incredible, and I've just been super lucky to be able to do it. Um, also makes it a little bit more. Um, just a little bit more emotionally like your it's kind of like your hometown so I got to play um, all my sports growing up on Long Island and then I got to go to college and play division one lacrosse the the one goal I had for myself Um, but I had I got to do it at home and then I got to compete for a national championship as Long Island's team you know with a team full of Long Islanders and then again just kind of like being able to still be based here on Long Island. Um, and now be able to grow my brand and um, kind of branch out and reach out to the rest of the world's lacrosse communities through my brand um, it's been really cool just to be able to do it at home and um, yeah I'm a long Island oh yeah kind of girl.
0: and so <laughs> so if the uh, if the internet serves me correctly you played uh, basketball volleyball and lacrosse all the way through high school uh, what made you you know you started to realize as you go, you're Later, later career in high school, you're, and you're like, I think I'm going to stick with lacrosse. No yeah,
1: um, and this is something that, like, is talked about a lot in the sports world, is, like, early specialization in sports, and um, when it's too early, and things like that, but I, um, I mean, immediately when I picked up a lacrosse stick, I fell in love with the sport. I knew it was going to be my first first sport um, since I I started, and ever since I started to realize that I could be good at it, Um, but all throughout high school, like, I played varsity, volleyball, basketball, and lacrosse for four years throughout high school, and I think just kind of, like, around eighth or ninth grade is when I realized, like, all right, maybe I should start to look into getting recruited um, for lacrosse so that I could take this from the varsity level to Hopefully and potentially a Division One collegiate career, um, and try to try to do special things with it.
0: And how have you seen the sport of, of women's lacrosse grow since you've started and finished at Stony Brook?
1: Um, it's been very very special, honestly, and I think um, it, statistically and in the lacrosse world, you'll see a lot of um, you know stats around. The lines of, like, lacrosse is, if not the, it's one of the fastest growing sports in the world right now um, across the nation, and to be able to, now I've kind of immersed myself in that and in that process, and um, coming from Stony Brook, what we were able to do was really special in a sense of, we were able to turn, you know, under Joe Spelina's leadership, we were able to turn um, Stony Brook into Long Island's team. Like there hadn't been a team, even though Long Island was a hotbed for lacrosse, there hadn't been a Division One women's team that girls here growing up fantasizing playing at the highest level of lacrosse could go watch their games every now yeah. and again, you know? So um, now we kind of, we throughout college, we were able to start that growth even here at home and start by kind of like providing a team that people could follow and people could become diehard fans of. Um, And then going from that um, into now the professional world and into now playing in the WPLL and my entire job, my career is, you know, to spread the game across the nation, across the world. It's to bring my experiences, my knowledge of the game, um, whether it's skills or whether it's kind of just experiences in general um, to places that might not have been hotbeds and might not see all of the things that I got I was lucky enough to see throughout my journey you know growing up playing lacrosse so um, just to see all of that and I've been able to kind of travel all over the country over the last two years and um, in doing that and just to see you know places in the Midwest like Minnesota and um, on the west coast like LA and San Francisco and then you know in south in the south like Texas and Florida and you know, all along the East Coast, it's really special to see a sport that, um, you know, hasn't been necessarily the most popular sport in years past. It's it's really growing and it's really booming and a lot of people are starting to think Yeah, and there's up. a lot of
0: support that you can see not only from... Um, the American East Conference, um, but the NCAA as a whole. We both went to uh, and were student athletes at American East. I went to UMass Lowell, and I'm very sad to report that you guys absolutely spanked us every time you played us, but uh, we got you back in <laughs> men's soccer, so it's okay. How has the support from a conference like American East helped grow the game of women's lacrosse? Yeah, um,
1: the American East was, you know, it was such a great conference for us to play in um because they have always been so supportive of, you know, our goals as, you know, a program at Stony Brook to not only um do what we had to do within the conference, but we wanted to, you know, make the Amerge's known on a national level. You know, and we wanted to um be able to put not only Stony Brook, but our conference at you know at the top and up in these major conversations with other major sports and with other major titles and things like that. So um, The support that they kind of reciprocated with us and with me personally um, was just incredible. And just the fact that, like, I'm still in touch with the commissioner, Amy Hutchhausen, and um, a lot of people over at the Americas that have done such really great things for my career personally and for Stony Brook as a whole. um, Now they kind of, you know, it's it's cool to still be able to be in touch with them and have their support still and going forward.
0: Absolutely. So I want to move on um, a little bit to post-college. What was the goal leaving college for an elite women's lacrosse player like yourself? Was it the pros? Was it the national team? Can you talk a little bit about that as well?
1: Yeah. um, So actually, like, when I went into college, there wasn't a professional women's league um, so when I first got to college, that was the highest level you could play at um, outside of the U.S. national team. Um, it was, you know, it was Division One college lacrosse, and that's it. You know, so going into it, I was like, all right, I got four years to um,
0: – To soak it all in. Know,
1: yeah, soak it all in and kind of just do the best that I could. And um, But, yeah, halfway through my college career is when the, they came out with – the women's professional lacrosse league. And there was this newfound opportunity for me to, um, elongate my career and be able to play at now what was considered the highest level of lacrosse. So, um, it was pretty surreal. And I think like my, my goals shifted to answer your question. Um, I, I wasn't sure if I was just gonna, you know, I wanted to stay in lacrosse post college, but if there was no opportunity for me to play, then I guess I was just going to coach, you know? Um, so When there was that opportunity for me to continue my playing career i i wanted to hop on board full go um, and i i wanted to i've always been that person who's wanted to play at the very top of my game and play to my highest potential so um, the u.s national team was definitely always in my dreams as well and you know still is to this day so um, just kind of hoping for the best and hoping to be able to play in a world cup next summer in 2021 with them but, um, you know, it's pretty insane to be able to see my dreams kind of unfold and, and be met post-college. Absolutely.
0: Talk to me about that transition from Stony Brook to Team USA, which you have been a part of, and the, the WPLL.
1: Yeah, um, it was, it's tough because it's, uh, and I remember this, you know, vividly last year. I think I had, you know, I, I was someone who, and I, I mentioned this, I'm someone who puts my all into what I've got in front of me there. and whatever it is, whatever goals I have. So at, for four years at Stony Brook, it was team goals. It was, you know, winning national championships. It was taking our program to the highest level. And then, you know, once that was cut short after my senior year, it, you know, it was kind of tough to be able to uh, reposition those goals, I guess you could say. Um, and just kind of like knowing that I was getting the best opportunities to play professionally and try out for the Team USA and um, all these really incredible playing opportunities and um it was just still obviously a little like mentally tough and i think it's it's something that a lot of collegiate athletes go through when they graduate it's you know you're not with your team every day for you know four years straight anymore you're kind of on your own you're working out by yourself you're trying to keep yourself in tip top shape you're uh, kind of motivating yourself you can't really lead on um like outside motivators such as your teammates Mm-hmm. as much anymore um, you know like one of the major things for me was like I only see um, my professional team over the summer and we do you know only a handful of games and we practice right before those games at those at those locations so uh, it's not an all year round thing and the same thing with Team USA we, we um, get together for training weekends every couple of months so uh, a lot of the day to day making sure you're still um a tip-top athlete and keeping yourself motivated it's kind of like all within yourself and that that's been probably the toughest transition from college to pro but um I think if you ask anyone that would be um a similar answer there
0: I, I, I absolutely have to agree it's tough when you're not because the, the great thing about college athletics is like you said you're around the guys all the, the, the girls all the time you're, you're around your teammates mm-hmm. all the time you're training just about every day. Uh, it's it's almost like it's you're you're with your family. This is more. You have your you have your career, and now you have and then you have mm-hmm. lacrosse later to look forward to. With with school, it's your sport is part of your entire life.
1: Yep, absolutely, and it's like and it's something that you know is coming. Um, <laughs> as college is ending, and you know it's coming, and you know it's going to be difficult to adjust to. But then when you're kind of. Like right after I graduated and right after um, we had lost in the semifinals to BC, it was like everything hopped right on the sponsorship deals, the the draft picks, like picking the league to play in and, you know, going right into all those situations because the season was just about to start. So I think it was like two weeks or three weeks right after we had lost at Stony Brook and everything was over. Um, you had a little bit of morning time, but it was, I think, two to three weeks. Right after that, I was already playing with the fight. So it was a quick transition and kind of just, like, immersed myself right in it. But um, now that I've been out of it for, like, two years, i am definitely started to settle down Absolutely. and Absolutely.
0: And you know, as, as, as well as anyone else, that as a college athlete, all you're trying to do is prolong your playing time and, and delay the inevitable that at some point, you know, you're always told in college that there's life after sports, um, and you want to delay that as, as long as possible. You, fortunately, get to, and you got, you're got you drafted in the WPLL, uh, which is a unique kind of league. Um, and like we were speaking about before uh, we hopped on here, like Paul Rabel's league, uh, the Premier Lacrosse League, in the WPLL, uh, teams aren't based out of a city. They're tour-based. Um, talk about the benefits of having a tour-based team rather than being out of a specific city or state.
1: Yeah, I think, um, and this is something that comes from, I think, both the PLL and the WPL is when being tour-based, especially with being such a, a, a booming sport right now, we're trying to find where our hotspots are, where our locations are for the best fan bases, um, for the ones that, you know, are going to be able to fill out stadiums and the ones that are you know, want to see lacrosse and want to, want to be immersed in the professional lacrosse po- culture. So, um, I think that's where we're at with the tour base situation. It also gives, um, our fans an opportunity to pick a team that they want to follow or pick a favorite team per se, um, on things other than just the location. So things outside of like, oh, I'm from New York. So I guess I have to be a New York Jets fan, you know, um, that kind of thing it's more of oh I like the players on that team I like their style I like their coach whatever it might be uh, fans can kind of resonate with that and that's what makes them a fight fan um, rather than oh it's a New York team like I, I'm i from New York so I kind of want to be that it also gives those places and those um, non-traditional lacrosse hotbeds uh, the ability to be able to follow those teams where they're saying you know on the other side I'm from Minnesota, there's no Minnesota team, so I guess I can't really follow. I can't really be a true fan. Um, so this way, when there's it's tour-based and we can kind of hit different locations and um, hang out with different fans, and we can kind of make those relationships with the future of the sport all over the place. And
0: I'm sure what a lot of people are wondering who are listening to this podcast, what is the pay like for players in the WPL?
1: Um, it is... It's a base salary for all players um, and it's per per game. So as of right now, we are in, we are entering our third season this upcoming summer, 2020. Um, And we are on the same, you know, base salary plan. And I think, you know, what comes from starting a league and uh, doing it in a place of where we need, we kind of, we need to do a lot on our part as players to be able to kind of push this thing towards the, heights that we want it to eventually be at and you know we ultimately want to be full-time lacrosse players a lot of us you know and we want to be able to support that financially and I think that's what we're most focused on right now is kind of just growing the league to um, to new fans and to new locations and um, seeing all that we can do in order to you know up this the base salaries and things like that but also be able to just kind of put the best product out there as a league and um, just provide for the future of professional women's lacrosse players and uh, hopefully do our part so that they can play professionally full time. If not, if it's not our generation. So just to piggyback
0: off of that, what would you like to see done in order to help grow the game of women's lacrosse?
1: Yeah, a great question. And it's something that, you know, um, I'm asked a lot in my position and I think, You know, there are a lot of little details, a lot of little things I could say, but ultimately I think, you know, our biggest thing is exposure um, and just, you know, more people talking about the sport, more people um, picking up sticks at younger ages, uh, places that have never seen the sport, being able to show them things, whether it's, you know, getting our games on television or doing all we can as athletes and influencers on social media so that, new demographics and new people are able to say, wow, that's a cool sport. Like I kind of want to follow all that goes on with that sport and, you know, just things along those lines, I think, um, are what's going to help us grow and are what's going to help us reach new eyes and reach new, um, new heights as ultimately a sport that can be global and that can, you know, um, get ourselves into the Olympics in 2028. And that'll be the first time that lacrosse will be in the Olympics and just kind of like, you know, hop those hurdles and do what we can to, to make the sport. Awesome.
0: I, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, exposure is everything and in a world where we have social media everywhere. You can, you have the world in the palm of your hand. It's so important to be able to to talk about uh, a sport that's being played uh, by some of the best athletes in the world.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, um, just to piggyback off that and what you mentioned about social media, like we are so lucky that we have that platform to be able to do what we do. Um, And I think just speaking personally, um, I do a lot of my, not only my influencing, but a lot of my business through social media as well. And I'm, you know, reaching all sorts of demographics and platforms that I would have never been able to reach without it. So um, I do believe that it's, it's such a helpful tool and it's something that can, um, ultimately, help push our sport forward as a, as a whole as well. And you
0: mentioned your you mentioned your business. What is the career life like for not only you but all these women outside of lacrosse, and, and how is that balanced?
1: Yeah. Um, so there are a handful of us that consider ourselves to be doing lacrosse full time, which is what I I consider myself to do. Um, and then there are many of us who are you know, they are coaches or they have regular full-time jobs, but also play professionally. So, um, the ones of us who are doing lacrosse full-time, like for example, my business is KO 17 lacrosse. I, um, kind of compiled all of the, the training and the kind of like lacrosse, um, the lacrosse training here on Long Island. And then I kind of put it into a system where I could kind of, um, develop a database where I could train all sorts of girls all over the country um, and be able to kind of travel with it. Take, again, my expertise and what I know about the game to places that might not have ever had that kind of experience before, uh, might not have ever had that kind of coaching before. Um, So there are things that I do along the lines of, like, I bring um, educational clinics um, to both players and coaches in different areas. Um, I do training all over the country. Like I mentioned before, I'll be getting into some online training as well. Um, and just kind of using those platforms that we can do. So uh, the daily is, uh, the daily schedule is a little bit different every day and that's what kind of makes it exciting.
0: Oh yeah. It's, it's interesting that, you know, some people are, are all about the schedule and the security and then there's the, you know what i love new, every day is a new day and that's what I love about my career. So, um, I guess I got only two two quick uh, final questions for you. Uh, one may be more loaded than the other. Uh, but what what <laughs> When we kind of mentioned it before, what are you hoping to see out of not only the WPL, but for women's lacrosse as a whole in the future?
1: Um, I think future-wise, I think the biggest thing that I want to see is the ability, and this is something that the Premier Lacrosse League has done for the men over the last year or so is, provided a space where athletes can be full-time lacrosse players um, in the same sense that, you know, Steph Curry can be a full-time basketball player. He doesn't have to do anything else. He doesn't have to be a lawyer on the side and then also just get to play lacrosse quote-unquote professionally over the summer. Um, And I think like that is the biggest goal for women's lacrosse to be able to get to that point eventually and to be able to, you know, give girls that are looking up to us right now, that opportunity when they get to our age and when they get to our position um they don't have to you know uh be a teacher or um a nurse or something on those lines and then you know get to play lacrosse over the summer professionally it's it could be a full-time job and i think that's what we're what we're striving for so
0: where can people find you and follow what you're doing
1: Uh, most of what you can find on me is on my Instagram, Kylie O'Miller17. Uh, you can also find my business on Instagram as well, KO17Lacrosse. I, um, also have a website, KO17Lacrosse.com. Um, and I also have a YouTube channel, which anyone who wants to learn anything about lacrosse can find me there. That's Kylie O'Miller on YouTube. And
0: that is uh, 1717, not spelled out seventeen.
1: Yes. K.O. 1-7 lacrosse.
0: This has been a very special edition of Off the Post Boston Sports. All sports, usually all Boston. This time we make an exception, and it's all the time. Kylie O'Millis, thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for having me.